0: title for the whole series is When Everyone is Right, and Judges chapter 9 with Abimelech and Shechem is the idea of we did it our way. And I've noticed as a general rule, most people like to do things their own way. Uh, whether we're one years old or a hundred years old, our preference is to move in the direction that we want to go. We want to live life our way. And the next personality and community we encounter in the book of Judges gives us a tragic picture of that mentality, what it looks like to brazenly ignore God's design. And I want to remind you, here we are in Judges, and God's design for Israel is that He rule. And what He's doing is He's using select servants to carry that rule, but there is no lineage. It's not to be father to son. It's not supposed to carry on in the family line. But instead, He rules and He solves some problems through his judges that he calls up specifically. But instead of following God's rule, Shechem and Abimelech forge ahead with setting up a small kingship. It's the story of Abimelech, Gideon's son, and that community of Shechem. That's where it all centers around. And their story is where we see the tragic close of Gideon's life and how it bears its ugliest fruit. And we watch a people God's people, Israelites, spurn God and his way and boldly shout out, we did it our way. And that way begins with manipulation and murder. I'm going to reread verses one through six, because these are the the verses upon which the whole story turns. This is what everything is based on. This is their history. It's tied up here. And it says, in Abimelech, the son of of Jerubabal, went to Shechem unto his mother's brethren and communed with them. In other words, he went and spent time with them. He's using his charisma, his personalities, connecting. And with all the family of the house of his mother's father saying, "'Speak, I pray you, in the ears of all the men of Shechem, whether it's better for you either that all the sons of Jerubabal, which are threescore and ten persons, reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh.'" And his mother's brethren spake of him in the ears of all the men of Shechem all these words. And their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. And they gave him threescore and ten pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Berith, wherewith Abimelech hired vain and light persons, which followed him. And he went unto his father's house at Ophrah, and slew his brethren, the sons of Drubabel, being threescore and ten persons, upon one stone. And by the way, there's an execution for you. It wasn't in battle. It was an execution style killing. Notwithstanding yet, Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbabel, was left for he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem gathered together. And all the house of Milo, and you see the house of Milo, this is the nobility, this is the upper crust, this is the leadership. And so you have a segmented population, but they're saying the whole common group of people and even the elites all gathered together and went and made Abimelech king by the plain of the pillar that was in Shechem. And so let's get a little context here. Gideon has died and the scheming plans of Abimelech, his son, come quickly to light. He wastes little time using his family connection in Shechem, Uh, that's something his brothers wouldn't have had, to convince a whole community to elevate him over his brothers. And again, let me remind you, there was not to be a succession plan in Israel. You're not supposed to. It is assumed that one of them would take leadership, and it's, it's a poor assumption. That is not what's been taking place this whole time. This is what Gideon rejected. One of his good answers was, I'm not going to be your king, nor is my son going to rule over you. This is not how this works. God rules over you. So he goes to Shechem, which, by the way, is a good bit south of the Jezreel Valley. If you remember where Gideon was from, it's north. He goes considerably south, and he he convinces the leadership to follow him. And what do they do? They take funds that were offered to Baal. The, the, the bale of the Covenant, if you remember last week, Baal Barith means the, the bale of the Covenant. And what they're doing is they're stealing and borrowing God's covenant name and tying it into idol worship. And so what they do is they take idol worship money, and then he hires worthless men, which literally means empty. And so he hires people who have no moral fabric in their life. He hires people that will do anything mercenaries kill this person they kill this person they they will execute on anything they don't have any conscience basically they're devoid of ethics And he uses them to help him execute his brothers. And again, when it says they're killed on one stone, a lot of commentators think that this might have been the same place where Gideon tore down the altar of Baal, that they brought the sons of Gideon back to that place and murdered them all right there. And then he gets to become the regional king. And so he is not a king that rules over all of Israel, but instead a king that has a regional Uh, grip in Shechem and the surrounding area, areas that Gideon would have judged over, but he is now the regional king. His aspirations are much bigger than that, which we'll see in how he moves. However, that's where he's king, and he has a three-year period of rule. He is not one of God's judges. He's never given that title. He is an usurper of God's authority coming in uh, from 1222 BC to 1219 BC is the time when he most likely rules in this region. And he rules outside of God's authority, and he rules as a king. And we see in Israel, at least in this area, this desperate desire to be like the world, to have something that is less than what God has given them. And this thirst to have a king, though, and their methodology, Abimelech and Shechem, show us the danger of doing things our way and the decisions that are built based on us and not on God. And we see some dangers exposed. And, and the first is, and some of the more critical lessons, is choosing leadership based on a connection and not character. And that's going to be expanded as you learn from them to any decision we make based on connection and not character. There's no doubt or it's likely that Abimelech was a charismatic personality. He understood what it took to move people. There's no way that he's completely flat walking into Shechem as the most boring, non-engaging person in the world, and he's going to convince everyone to make him king. It's likely that he's charismatic, but it's obvious that his number one selling point was his connection to them. He was one of their own, and that fact carried the day. Their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. And I'm going to talk a little bit later, why do we go to the person we're connected to? Because we feel more powerful. It was selfish on their part. One, they've ignored what God has said. They've ignored how God has framed what we're supposed to do. God is going to send the judge. God is going to rule. They're already looking and thinking that a son of Gideon would rule. And that's due in a large part to Gideon's failure. This is part of the tragedy of his clothes. He rejected the kingship and lived as a king. When you live as a king, your kids pick up on that idea of being king, and we see the fruit of his poor choices at the end of his life. It's bearing fruit after his death. His poor character, Abimelech, does come through in the end. Whatever didn't serve Abimelech's purpose or elevate his power, he sought to destroy. This story, and we're going to read through it, is tragic because in the end he murders everyone in Shechem, and in the end his lust for power and control ends up setting him up to get killed by a woman, and then he has his armor bearer stab him through. I always find that fascinating in Scripture. So they say, kill me, so they won't say a woman killed me. And through all of time, the history is, a woman dropped a stone in your head, and you got stabbed. You go to the New Testament, and it's him. He's the one that always talk about the millstone. They never mention the name of the armor bearer, right? It's always that. So in their desire to avoid shame, it's just locked in forever. Um, but here's the interesting thing he is a man that will do anything to have power. He's proven that, right? And they miss that about him, or they don't care in their hasty commitment to him. But that's not all we learn from his rise to power. Abimelech had a plan to remove any contention to his rule, kill all his brothers, which, by the way, should have been a warning to the people of Shechem. When we see the tragedy that takes place in Shechem, and look, a thousand people get burned in the end, hiding out in a temple. He burns them alive or smoke inhalation, whatever it takes. They die. It's not the easiest death that's there. He destroys them, but they should have known better because they didn't heed the warning that they saw. He's a guy that went and killed 70 family members, and instead of listening to that and saying, he's messed up this guy's off. Instead, they promoted the action, which shows another dangerous and slippery slope when we do things our way. We'll use methods based on expediency and not ethics. And that's what you see when you look at Abimelech and Shechem. They murdered everyone else that they thought may claim leadership of Shechem or the surrounding areas, anywhere that uh, Gideon would have judged. And then they follow through on crowning him king. Doing things their own way led Shechem to miss obvious warnings. I think their character is void as well. Uh, Abimelech was willing to kill his own family to gain power. No one should ever pretend that they were safe. Shechem should have never wondered where they stood in Abimelech's mind. He would stop at nothing to gain his objectives. There was no real substance to his character. His rise was what was most critical. I put a pause there and ask us all to learn a little bit of lesson about that. How do we approach life? How are we living our life? Is it our own way or is it God's way? Is any method expedient? If it's expedient, let's do it. Or are we going to balance everything we do through the the lens of Scripture that it's going to frame our life? Do we seek and make decisions based on what is the connection to us? I think that Christians, sadly, as we walk through even our own politics, too much we make decisions based on connection and not character. That we miss this idea, that we find what is convenient to us, what seems to give us the best grip, because we want power, and so we choose someone who we think will give us that connection. There's danger there. See, he was the easiest link, the path for them to have the most control. And so they participated in whatever was necessary and convenient to secure his leadership. And the, and the biggest question we'll ask in the sense of warning comes from these verses here. The end of their story is more me reading the narrative and just commenting briefly on it. Here sits the warning. Are we walking blindly into the same trap? Do we live life our way so much so that we'll bypass what is obviously what God wants. He has shown that. Even Gideon and all of his failures still turned down the kingship. But instead, will we blindly walk into the same trap? Have we valued connection over character? And understand, no matter how you want to cloak it, you choose connection because you get power from that. You gain control when you have connection. And have we ignored biblical ethics over earthly expediency? They went out and took idle money to murder 70 people on one stone. That's making a statement to everyone in Uphra. And then he comes down to Shechem and goes, Don't you dare come down to us. Don't you think about moving down and having any influence. He kills everyone from the town. The kids that, that, that would have grown up there, would have lived there, would have been a part of that community, murders them all in execution style to move down. He's making a point. I put here, be warned, nothing, comes, nothing good comes from such temporal decision-making and leader selection. However, Abimelech is not 100% successful in murdering all his brothers. Jotham, the youngest, escapes And when he hears Shechem proceeding with making his wicked brother king, he risks a lot, everything really, to come give, and I put here, a parable and a prophecy. Now, we're going to read through this and, and just follow along in your Bible. This is one of the more famous fables, they would call this, if you're talking literature, one of the famous fables, and actually is the first parable recorded in the Bible. And I'll mention this. When we walk through the New Testament, we see our Savior constantly using parables. So we're seeing a story format uh, to tell a point. And this is a fairly famous story format in the, in the sense of literature. And when they told it to Jotham, he went and stood in the top of Mount Gerizim and lifted up his voice and cried and said unto them, hearken unto me, ye men of Shechem. Now get a, a picture here. He's not on a knoll right in front of the city. He is on a mountaintop, on a ridge, and the way that the city is situated as he speaks, it's like being in an amphitheater. But he's also distant where they can't get to him right away. So you think, why do they let him finish his, his, his story? Well, because they couldn't just shoot him off the mountaintop, and that's how he could escape. This is a very important mountain. A lot of Israel's history takes place and took place here, and we'll talk about that as we move forward. So he's on there, and he says, "'Hearken to me, that God may hearken unto you. The trees went forth on a time to anoint a king over them, and they said unto the olive tree, "'Reign thou over us.' But the olive tree said unto them, "'Should I leave my fatness, wherewith by me they honor God and man, and go to be promoted of the trees?' And the trees said to the fig tree, "'Come thou and reign over us.' But the fig tree said unto them, "'Should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit, and go to be promoted over the trees?' Then said the trees unto the vine, "'Come thou and reign over us.' And the vine said unto them, "'Should I leave my wine, which cheereth God and man, and go to be promoted over the trees?' Then said all the trees unto the bramble," which is just a thorn bush, "'Come thou and reign over us.' And the bramble said unto the trees." If in truth ye anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. Which is very ironic because there's no shade under a thorn bush. So the idea is come trust me to do something that I'm not qualified to do. Uh, no one's missing the insults he's hurling right now because Abimelech is a thorn bush and he's nothing and can't, in other words, he's saying he can't deliver. On what he's saying, he can deliver on, and if not, this is the thorn bush. Let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. That's his compliment to the men of Shechem. Your cedars, talking to a bramble. Now, therefore, if ye have done truly and sincerely, and that ye have made Abimelech king, and if ye have dealt well with Jerubbaal and his house, and have done unto him according to the deserving of his hands. For my father fought for you and adventured his life far and delivered you out of the hand of Midian. (laughs) And ye are risen up against my father's house this day and have slain his sons, three score and ten persons, upon one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of his maidservant king over the men of Shechem, because he is your brother. In other words, he's highlighting exactly why they made the decision. If ye then have dealt truly and sincerely with Jerubabal and with his house this day, then rejoice ye in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and the house of Milo. In other words, I want everyone to face this punishment from upper cross to common people. It says, and let fire come out from the men of Shechem and from the house of Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. In other words, he got off the mountaintop and went to where there was no reigning power. He was not in control up that far. Jotham comes to confront the people of Shechem and Abimelech and does it with a parable, which, like I mentioned before, ends up being one of the most famous fables in literature that depicts a political crisis caused by a corrupt leader. This is like a statement piece of what that looks like. Um, It's the first recorded parable, as I mentioned. And so he stands on this ridge of Mount Gerizim. He's not on the peak. He's on a ridge coming down, which was, by the way, a very significant place in Israel's history. For there, the blessings of the Mosaic law have been proclaimed to the people on their entrance into the land. This is where Joshua stood and had them reaffirm that they would follow God that they reaffirmed the Mosaic Covenant. So as they enter the land, Joshua, so you just go back in time considerably, he stood there, and the nation of Israel would have reaffirmed God's covenant there. Thus the land of the covenant. This is a, an important part of Israel. By the way, it's also where Abraham had first built his altar. Jacob had bought property and dug a well there. Joseph was buried there. This is the mount that we're on. This is a significant place in the history of Israel. A lot has taken place. And from this mount, which would have given his voice access, by the way, that amphitheater to all the town and time to get away, he condemned them and their new favorite son, Abimelech. And we see something. And this is one of the more critical things for us to capture from Jotham, because we see a story and he moves off and we never hear about him again. We don't know anything else about Jotham, but we cannot miss what he did because he's pretty much alone. I want you to imagine you've just watched or run away from your siblings, your brothers, all being murdered on one stone. You've seen what Abimelech is capable of. He doesn't have much help, but he still did what he could to oppose the sinful ambitions of Abimelech and Shechem. And I want us to to, to understand this. Understand this as well. He's used by God to give a prophecy. This wasn't him being spiteful. This was him recording what God was going to do to Abimelech and Shechem. This is what's going to take place. So he's God's spokesperson here. He's he's in essence a prophet or he is a man with a prophetic word coming to oppose. Because remember, it's when he realizes that they're still going to make him king, that he walks up and says, this is not right. He's used by God to confront the My Way people of Shechem and the self-centered Abimelech. And he's used by God to give a prophecy of what would unfold. And what would unfold is this. You guys are going to destroy each other. You're going to burn each other up. And I think Jotham is, is, is this critical component to the story of Abimelech and Shechem, and this idea of people pursuing sin and a sinful way of doing things and saying, "We're going to do it our way, we don't care what God's way is. We'll do it our way." And we see the dangerous decision-making that's there. <clears throat> and then we watch Jotham. It's not for nothing that we find out that he's the youngest. <clears throat> In other words, if you are going to be king, if you're going to have a, a lineage who becomes king? The oldest. If you're the youngest, you're never coming king, right? That's just not happening. You're basically nothing on the totem pole when there's 70 of you. And so he's used by God in this way. And I put this question, would we have the courage to stand alone to expose the sin that had transpired? Because Jotham courageously stood and gave God's verdict on what had unfolded After his parable, nobody in Shechem could claim innocence or ignorance. They could not say, we didn't know. I didn't know he used the money that way. I thought he was going to go get soldiers. I thought he was going to go conquer more land. I thought he was going to make us safe with that money. No one could wonder that anymore. No one could use any excuse. If you resided in Shechem, you just heard that you had participated in murder. But here's the question for us as we look at Jotham. Would we be willing to do the same? Because he doesn't gain leadership from this. He doesn't gain notoriety. He disappears from the the history of Scripture in that sense. It doesn't mean his life had no meaning. Actually, he did what God would have wanted him to do in that sense. He's not supposed to rule unless God called him to do that. And God hadn't called him to do that. But God did call him to preach a very clear message about sin and the opposition to sin and to expose that sin and to remove from the eyes of all these people the ability to justify what they had done. And he did it in a very powerful place. Now, after he tells his parable, Jotham has to run because he knows the mindset, and I put in parentheses, the sin set of his brother Abimelech. Abimelech is consumed with himself. He will proceed in any way that makes him elevated, but it doesn't take long for his prophecy to come true. Within three years, we see complete downfall and destruction. And so I'm going to work through this remaining section and just look at piece by piece just to see how the prophecy comes true. I do want us to note this about Shechem, and this is important. You go all the way back when Joshua was given the command Uh, to Israel. Get rid of all the Canaanites. They need to be gone from the land. They are not to stay there. There's a lot of people that struggle with that, and they find cause to throw a stone against God, but the reality was Canaanites had to leave. Shechem is a blended city. It is majority Israel, but Canaanites were there, and though they are the minority, they're still very influential, and they're still around. Look, they're worshiping a Canaanite god, Baal. They've woven covenant to it, but it starts with Baal. They've shifted their focus. Well, as Jotham had predicted, everything didn't stay rosy and sweet between Shechem and Abimelech. As their history progresses, and we're going to find some things, first we find contention. I'll read the first couple verses, 22 through 25, I think it is. It says here, when Abimelech had reigned three years over Israel, then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. Now, we can go into the weeds on what he meant by evil spirit. The nuts and bolts of this is God sent contention between them. He broke the bond that they had. It was built on sin anyway, so it was fragile, but it's broken now. And it says, And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the cruelty done to the three score and ten sons of Jerubabal might come, and their blood be laid upon Abimelech their brother, which slew them, and upon the men of Shechem, which aided him in the killing of his brethren, just so they understand that they know they're at fault. And the men of Shechem sent liars in wait. They sent spies in wait for Abimelech, basically him, in the top of the mountain, and they robbed all that came along that that way by them, and it was told Abimelech. In other words, someone reported, and it's probably Zebul, who is the governor of Shechem, that they were doing this. And here's the nuts and bolts. The leaders of Shechem begin spying on Abimelech and trying to undermine his control and his economy. Now, when Abimelech approached Shechem, he says, I'm your brother. I'm from here. Make me your king. Ironically, he does not reside in Shechem. Instead, he has a home base that is five miles southeast in Aruma. And the reality is this. They were expecting to have control and to have connection. And Abimelech, once made king, shifts his base of operation five miles southeast. And so you already have division by his leadership decision not to be there, a point of disappointment at best. So these things are taking place. When they're spying on him, they're going about five miles to see what's taking place. They're coming up and making sure he can't hurt them. Where is he at? And then they can rob people because if you're king, one of your components, one of your jobs is to make sure that traveling through that country, you're safe, that you don't get robbed, that you can grow the economy. So there's contention between them. His direct presence is not in their city. So the door is open for a contender. And this is where you start getting an introduction to the next guy that comes into the scene, a guy named Gal. And Gal, the son of Ebed, came with his brethren and went over to Shechem. And by the way, it's not his brothers. It's his band of soldiers. Gaul in history, if you read some of the history around him, he was a roving opportunist looking for a place where he could gain control. He lands on Shechem, and it's a place for control. So when you see brethren, think band of soldiers, uh, of basic renegades that come in. And it says here, uh, and the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. They put confidence in this man militarily and in the soldiers he'd have with them. And they went out into the fields and gathered their vineyards and trod the grapes and made merry and went into the house of their God, Baal and did eat and drink and cursed Abimelech. And Gal, the son of Ebed, said, who is Abimelech and who is Shechem that we should serve him? Is not he the son of Jerubbabel and Zebul, his officer? Serve the men of Hammer the father of Shechem, by the way, Hamra would have been a Canaanite, for why should we serve him? And would to God his people were under my hand, then would I remove Abimelech? And he said to Abimelech, increase thine army and come out. In other words, Gal is celebrating with Shechem. They're all happily drunk and bragging about what they can do. And he's taking this moment to say, I can get rid of Abimelech, but he's also doing something else. He's saying to the people of Shechem, we don't worship God, we don't serve Israel, we'll be Canaanites. Ironically, he's taking Abimelech and connecting him to the true God, which Abimelech doesn't worship, he worships Baal, but this is political maneuvering. Makes sense, he's a roaming opportunist, he comes in with his band of brothers, he's looking for that situation upon which he could capitalize, and here it is, tension in Shechem. So he comes into town, he endears himself with the leadership, and then during the harvest feast, by the way, which is a perversion of the Feast of Tabernacle, so they have taken an Israelite feast, and I call it the Shechemite perversion of the Feast of Tabernacles, a feast that should have been for the honor of God, has been shifted for the honor of Baal. And then he makes a bold claim against Abimelech, and To his demise, he also includes Zebul, the governor of the city. And here's what he was calling on Shechem to do. And remember, it's still majority Israelites, minority Canaanites. He's saying to Shechem, get your identity from your town, from where you're at. So he's saying to them, let's identify as Canaanites. Let's connect to Hammer, the father of Shechem. So he's calling to all of Shechem To remove God as your identity and make where you are your identity. Become Shechemites. Be Canaanites. We're in Canaan. Let's be Canaanites. Let's link to the history of our place, not to our God. And so his call is a direct rejection of Israel and Israelite rule. But more importantly, he's saying to the people, let's distance ourselves completely from this God of Israel let's move away. We want nothing to do with this. And so he connects Abimelech with Gideon and to the true God, even though Abimelech never followed the true God and was a follower of Baal. But understand what Gaul is doing when you see him get tricked. Don't feel too sorry for him. Here's a guy that's coming in and saying, forget God and forget that identity as God's people and instead identify with the world. Which, by the way, is a call that spread out. We talk about judges reflects our time. What does our world tell us all the time about our faith and who we are? Keep it quiet. Keep it to yourself. Don't make that your identity. Don't make that your purpose. Identify with something else. And I want you to see the dangerous ploy of Satan when it's thrown out there to grab you and say, make something else your identity, but definitely don't make it that you're God's people. Surely you want to identify in a different way. That's what he's throwing out there. Now, all those bragging things during the feast, and don't miss this little hint. he attempts to undermine Zabul and his leadership so he could gain control, which leads to what I call the contest, because Zabul is having none of it. And he's also very opportunistic. He is a follower or a loyalist to Abimelech. Uh, but here's what it says in verse 30. And when Zabul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaul, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled. Now, I'm giving him no good features except that he's a good political maneuverer, but it doesn't do him any good because I'm assuming he dies when Shechem all dies. And he sends messengers unto Abimelech privately, privately saying, Behold, Gaul, the son of Ebed and his brethren, <coughs> be come to Shechem. And behold, they fortify the city against thee. They've been doing that for a while. What prompts Zebul to send to Abimelech? Well, when Gaal says, Zabul is the officer of Abimelech, and we need to get rid of him. He's doing self-preservation here. (coughs) His idea is, i got to get rid of this guy, because otherwise I'm going to lose control of the city. Now, therefore, he has a plan for him. Up by night, thou and the people that is with thee, and lie in wait in the field. And it shall be that in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, thou shalt rise early and set upon the city. And behold, when he, Gal, and the people that is with him, "'His brethren, his soldiers, his fighters, "'and maybe some people from Shechem that join him, "'come out against thee, then mayest thou do to them "'as thou shalt find occasion. "'And Abimelech arose up, "'and all the people that were with him by night, "'and they laid wait against Shechem in four companies. "'And Gaul the son of Ebed went out "'and stood in the entering of the gate of the city, "'and Abimelech rose up, "'and the people that were with him from lying in wait. <coughs> "'And when Gaul saw the people, he said to Zebul, "'Behold, there come people down from the top of the mountains.' And Zabul said unto him, thou seest the shadow of the mountains as if they were men. In other words, he mocks him and he says, now you're, you're seeing things. It's, da, it's, it's the morning hours, right? You, you don't see clearly. And Abimelech is advancing on the city in a surprise format. Gal notices it, but turns to his enemy, Zabul, and says, I think I see somebody. And Zebul's like, ah, oh, you're crazy. You're missing you're missing it. And then Gaul spoke again and said, See, there come people down by the middle of the land, and another company come along by the plain of Mianonim. Then said Zebul unto him, Where is now thou, uh, where thou, thou mouth? Wherewith thou saidest, Who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Is not this the people that thou hast despised? Go out, I pray, now and fight with them. And I want us to pause a second. They're sitting in a fortified city. Gaul has not raised his troops. They're not prepared for this. They might have had a night of feasting, for all we know. He's sitting there at dawn, and he's seeing people advance, and Zebul sets him up, and he keeps saying, no, no, and then there's at the gate, there's probably other people there. There's other people coming in, and then Zebul closes the trap on Gaul and says, all right, you had a big mouth. You made your brag. Go out and fight them. Now, there's a couple things that you learn here. Gaul is a fool for going out and fighting the enemy has the ground they want. He's in a fortified city. Why not just stay in the fortified city? But arrogance and pride come out. And so Engal went out before the men of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. In other words, here's a man bragging, I'll protect you. I'll get rid of Abimelech. Zebul sets him up and positions him to now go fight in a non-opportunistic way. Why don't you go out? Abimelech's got four companies surrounding the city. He's set to go, has all the advantage. But Gaul in his pride and arrogance, goes out. He fights with Abimelech, and Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him, and many were overthrown and wounded, even unto the entering of the gate. And that tells you a lot about the fortified city. They go out of the fortified city, and they go fight. They lose, and the fighting stops when they can close the gate. And he's in the city now. Now, Abimelech, it says, dwelt at Aruma. So he goes back home. And Zabul thrust out Gaal and his brethren that they should not dwell in Shechem. And what you see here is political intrigue and maneuvering by a master. And the master is Zabul. He leads Gaal to being defeated badly by Abimelech. He and his group go out to fight and results in a weakened popularity. I can take care of you. I can fight for you. I can destroy you. I can get rid of all this for you. Then he goes out and gets defeated on the first round. Well, that set Zabul up to say, we got to get rid of this guy. All he's doing is making Abimelech mad. All he's doing is, is making us the target of Abimelech. How crazy is this? So Zabul uses it and wins the contest. The political game is won by Zabul. And in his mind, they're loyal to Abimelech, or really loyal to him. But the real devastation is still to unfold. I think a destruction of Shechem has never been in Zabul's mind he wanted gal gone but he never imagines what abimelech would do next because abimelech is not satisfied removing the contender he wanted to see the complete collapse of shechem i'll walk us through the next verses and it came to pass on the morrow that the people went out into the field and they told abimelech and i want you to realize you got to separate the people gal and his soldiers are gone they're the ones that fought and were defeated now the people in Shechem are leaving a fortified city and going out and working the fields. This is like normal. We had to go tend to the grapes. we got to work on the harvest. Whatever might be taking place, they're just going to work. These are not soldiers heading out. They're not armed for battle. <coughs> so this is a he knows this. And he took the people, his people, and divided them into three companies and laid wait in the field and looked and behold, the people were come forth out of the city and he rose up against them and smote them. So he does what you would expect Abimelech to do. He kills the people while they're working the land. And Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood in the entering of the gate of the city. What did he solve this time? There's no returning back to the city. There's no closing the gate. There is no defense. He takes the entrance point. And the two other companies ran upon all the people that were in the fields and slew them. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day, and he took the city and slew the people that were there and beat down the city and sowed it with salt. He completely annihilates Shechem. He destroys it completely. And I want you to picture this. Three companies of people. He takes the gate. Everyone in the field gets killed by the other two companies. He turns around. Now everyone in the city is stuck in the city. Everyone out of the city is stuck out of the city. They're killing them. They don't have weapons. This is not war. This is not a battle. This is just murder. He turns into the city, begins fighting. No doubt people know that's taking place. Arms are pulled up, but you're not prepared to defend yourself at all. He enters the city and all day long he is taking the city. He's killing people and he's destroying it. He beat down the city. He's not looking to conquer a people. He's looking to kill a people. And then it says it was told Abimelech, that all the men of the Tower of Shechem were gathered together. The Tower of Shechem is referring to the leadership. This is the the Milo. This is the leadership. This is nobility. They've run to somewhere else. And Abimelech uh, got him to Mount Zalman, he and all the people that were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bow from the trees and took it and laid it on his shoulder and said to the people that were with him, what you have seen me do, make haste and do as I have done. And all the people likewise cut down every man his bow and followed Abimelech. And put them to the hold. In other words, these people are hiding out in this temple. They've shut the doors. And Abimelech is cutting uh, branches from trees. And he's bringing it there. And he says, we're going to make a big old bonfire. This is an ugly way to do battle. And he set, he set the hold on fire upon them. So that all the men of the tower of Shechem died also. About a thousand men and women. And I just want you to recognize who he is. The guy that murders 70 of his brothers has just taken the, the, the city or town that made him king, and he's murdered them in the field. They have no way to defend themselves. They're fighting in the city, he's annihilated the city. A thousand people are left. There's nothing that needs to be destroyed anymore. And instead of leaving it be, he gets boughs from a tree and he lights it on fire and he kills them all. Fire from Abimelech has consumed Shechem, as promised. But the tragic lesson needs to come to its fitting and predicted close. And it's fascinating because his, his success in burning the people in Shechem set him up to do the same thing at a town where a lady has a millstone and she's going to crush his skull. So we go now and Bimelech goes to Tebez and encamped against Tebez. And, and the implication from history is they're not okay with his kingship. So he is trying to gain power <coughs> and took it. And there was a strong tower within the city, and thither fled all the men and women and all they of the city and shut it to them and got them up to the top of the tower. They shut the doors, they climbed to the top. And Abimelech came into the tower and fought against it and went hard into the door of the tower to burn it with fire. I have a way to get people out of towers. We light the doors on fire and they die. And so his mind is working with what works. And it says here, and a certain woman cast a piece of a millstone upon Abimelech's head and all to break his skull. Just to make it graphic enough, she crushed his head. Then he called hastily unto the young man his armor-bearer and said unto him, draw thy sword and slay me, that men say not of me. A woman slew him, and his young man thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, not men of of Shechem, but now his whole band of people, they departed every man unto his place. Thus God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech, which he did unto his father in slaying his 70 brethren. And all the evil of the men of Shechem did God render upon their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Drubabul. What do we see here? To summarize the whole story, nothing ends right when we do things our way. And then there's a second part of this. God's word always comes true. Jotham was tasked with saying to Shechem and Abimelech, this is what's going to happen to you. And within 3 years that's what happened. See, Abimelech and Shechem show the danger of getting our way, of doing things our way. It results in decisions that are based on connection and not character. And by connection I mean our control. Decisions based on what we can control and not on the character or the or the biblical Direction of that decision. And then what also unfolds are methods based on expediency and not biblical ethics. What works, what we think will make sure accomplishes what we want, which will tell you a lot about maybe we shouldn't be doing this at all, that takes place. And the end is downfall and destruction. The result of doing things our way is downfall and destruction. But instead, we have a a counterpart to this. What do we do instead of this? Well, show the courage of Jotham, who stood alone to expose and oppose the sinful ambitions of Abimelech and Shechem, He was used by God to speak truth and expose their sin and the coming consequences. And it's one that devoured the participants. Galatians 6, 7 says this, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And I want to say this about the story of Shechem and Abimelech. They sowed sin. They sowed rebellion. They sowed resisting the one true God. And they reaped exactly what they had sowed.